Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today on the podcast, we're talking about the politics of the Super Bowl. Yes, the Super Bowl, the big game, the Niners are in it against the Kansas City Chiefs. And let's let's face it, the, the Super Bowl is an American national holiday. It's the most watched TV program of the year, and it's one of the last remaining cultural events that people from all over the political spectrum share an interest in. And this year's game in a presidential election year will be more political than ever. And here to talk about it is Howard Bryant. He's one of the nation's best thinkers when it comes to the intersection of sports and politics. And he's got a new book out called Full Dissidence, Notes from an Uneven Playing Field. It's very good. And let's talk to Howard Bryant about sports, politics, and the Super Bowl. Howard Bryant. Welcome to It's All Political. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I want to talk to you about politics and the Super Bowl. You know, Super Bowl is typically the most viewed TV show of the year. And there'll be a lot of obvious political messaging there. Two billionaires, uh, Mike Bloomberg and Donald Trump, will pay about $10 million at each for some ads. But there will be a lot of politics that's both in plain view in this NFL game and a lot that's more subtle. And your excellent new book, Full Dissidence, Notes from an Uneven Playing Field gets at a lot of that. First line of the book is, you write, to be black is to be a dissident. And one of your essays is about the last uh, 49er quarterback to lead the team of the Super Bowl, Colin Kaepernick. Kaepernick, as we all know, has been out of the league for three years now. He's virtually blackballed after kneeling protests that he was leading to call attention to police brutality. Where are we going to see Kaepernick's legacy in Sunday's Super Bowl? Well, I think you'll feel it in a lot of different ways, depending on how closely you pay attention, how closely people pay attention to what is being sold to us, especially during the Super Bowl ads and during the commentary. I think that you're right. When you watch the Super Bowl, you can always tell what the corporations are trying to market towards, you know, to the public. I think you can sort of tell what attitude they're trying to sell. I remember one year, I think it was the year that the 49ers were last in the Super Bowl when they lost to the Ravens. You could tell that there was flags and military in almost every commercial. They were clearly selling, selling patriotism. They were clearly selling some idea of Americanism. And I think in this one, I think you'll be able to tell very, very early in the pregame and also in the first the first quarter of commercials, because those are the most expensive ones, what the country's trying to sell. I think you'll also see the NFL try to distance themselves from Kaepernick by having a few of their players' coalition social justice ads in there that send the message that they are carrying on the work of the players without Kaepernick, that they can do this without him. They can have a social justice message. They can they can support players while blackballing him, which is certainly an area where I think that they are the most suspect. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about those ads for a minute, because it's uh, the last few weeks we've seen uh, the NFL release these series of public service announcements under a program what the league calls "quote Inspire Change," and it, as you say, it's done in concert with the Players Coalition, which was started by former 49 receiver Anquan Bolden. Last Sunday, I think it was, the NFL aired an ad narrated by Bolden where he talks about the 
2015 fatal roadside shooting of his cousin, Corey Jones, by a plainclothes police officer. Now, the tagline to these videos, I don't know if you saw, was the, quote, the NFL family is working towards a more equal and just tomorrow. What do you think of, like, Kaepernick not being able to get a job in the NFL because of his political stances, yet the league producing a series of PSAs that talk about the same things that the protests read, were aimed at? What, what's, what's going on there? Well, I think the message that they're sending, once again, is that they think that the public is stupid and that they're trying to sell the public once again on on an idea of justice without practicing justice. And I think also what they're saying is that they are, in in some ways, or in many ways, that they are that they are part of a movement that they've never been part of that they are sympathetic to ideas that they've never been sympathetic to. And obviously we know the political implications behind it. You know the split between the players when when Kaepernick was in the league and the players' coalition with Anquan Bolden and Malcolm Jenkins. And so they're trying to satisfy, it's a divide-and-conquer strategy in some ways because you keep Kaepernick out of the league, but you pacify the players who are already playing, and you use Malcolm Jenkins and you use Anquan Bolden as the, the new leaders of this. So the message is being sent that Kaepernick is somehow the malcontent and the work is being done without him, when actually I think what's really taking place is that the NFL is in a, in a spot where they really aren't able to accomplish much of anything, in my opinion, because the hypocrisy is right in the center. You're asking yourself, okay, if you're able to do these commercials and if you believe in what these messages are, then why are you not hiring this one player? Can you have it both ways? The NFL is by force of money, personality, and these commercials are trying to sell the message to the public that they can have it both ways, and I don't think that they can. Is this is the whole Kaepernick thing and the um, the fact that you know players are not allowed to protest on the field right now? Was that a win for Trump, a political win, quote unquote, for him? He spent months and months berating NFL players for kneeling. He mischaracterized it for you know showing disrespect for the military, which which it wasn't. And as as you write in the book, you, you alluded to earlier, uh, many of the athletes are loath to push back in the military. What? Why is that? And and what what it, what message does that send? Well, I think that the message is once again that the NF, the NFL and professional sports, in just the most clearest terms, are very good practitioners of anti-blackness, and they've created a dynamic. That put the play that puts the players in a very defensive position, and that defensiveness is if they advocate for a position, then they are somehow un-American, and that that is absolutely in a lot of ways a, a win for for Trump, and it's a win for the NFL owners, and it makes me wonder when you think about all of where we've been over the past seven or eight years post Ferguson and post Eric Garner and the rest of all of this, that the players have lost an opportunity that they don't have any sort of the, the power that we would think that they have because Kaepernick is such a cautionary tale. 
So how much power do you actually have if you risk losing your career and you aren't able to advocate for positions on your own terms? If you are being forced to essentially be in the same category as, say, the, you know, the Jerry Joneses of the world and you're taking their money knowing full well what their political positions are and then they throw you a bone by doing these commercials. I mean, are you really advocating much of anything? And then you look at somebody who shows a bit of independence, Kaepernick and Eric Reed and these guys, and you look at the price that they pay, they've been completely marginalized. So absolutely, I think that what you've seen is a victory for the president in a lot of ways because the players, at least on the NFL side, they simply, you know, they allowed themselves to be divided and conquered. And we'll have more of my conversation with Howard Bryant after this short break. What do you, what do you say to people who say they, they like sports, they watch sports because they're a break from the rest of the world. They're a break from, from politics. They're a break from, uh, you know, uh, the, the rest of their daily lives. And they don't want to hear political messages there. What, what do you say to, to folks when, they, when that, because that comes up all the time. It does, but I say they're not paying attention. I say that they're they're asking for their politics. They're getting exactly what they want. Um, politics itself is a dirty word in some ways when you look at how can you say you don't want politics in your sports, but you're completely comfortable with an American flag the size of a football field. And you see F-14 flyovers pre-game, and you see police on the sidelines, and you see police at the 50-yard line shaking hands, and you see law enforcement appreciation nights at the same time you're having commercials talking about police brutality. How can you say that those things don't strike you as political? So to me, what I think and what I was trying to get across in the, in the book is these are examples where the power and the hierarchy, whether it's the NFL or whether it's the government or whomever, are essentially ridiculing the public. It's, it is distraction and it is distortion and misinformation, as you were saying before. Um, these are examples of that, of that distortion. Because you know, what you're really saying, to me at least, if you're willing to allow tanks and planes and flags and and war and all these other things to take place. But you're also going to say you don't want politics is what you're saying is, is that you don't want to hear black people speak, that you're, that you don't want blackness. You're willing to support anti-blackness, but you're completely comfortable selling war in between first and second down. And that's a, there's a, an excellent series of essays in the book uh, called uh, Copaganda. Am I saying that right? Because I was, I was yeah, like, thinking copaganda, copaganda, which is the lionizing of uh, of lion of law enforcement pro sports, and, and exactly that uh, dichotomy you're just talking about. Um, a lot of um, President Trump, of course, embraces the spectacle, of the Super Bowl, and and all the you know the the, the back and forth around it. Before last year, and he sends political messages in some ways. Before last year's Super Bowl, he tweeted congratulations to the Patriots for winning the AFC title, but not the Los Angeles Rams. 
Uh, of course, he has many close friends and contributors on the Patriots, including their their owner. Um, the year before, he disinvited the Philadelphia Eagles from coming to the White House after a number of the players said they wouldn't attend, just like our Golden State Warriors here. Now, if the if the 49ers win, the San Francisco 49ers, the the uh, the place that's represented by Nancy Pelosi and Gavin Newsom, um, he may make some remark about that. What should we care about that, or is just is that more distraction, sort of the sleight of hand distraction? Look over here, and what's the effect of that? Well, I think all of it is sort of a a law of diminishing returns. But on the other hand, you do have to consider it to be, it's still very powerful. I mean, this is the president of the United States. I mean, this is still, you're still dealing with, it's not a joke. You know, you're not dealing with something that is immaterial or unimportant. You're still dealing with a person who's using supposedly the most powerful office in the world to send divisive political messages. If you're going to say, oh, well, we just dismiss it, that's fine. You can do that. But that doesn't mean that's the message that he's trying to send. You can reject the message, but there's certainly a message being sent. And I think that, obviously, as as you go forward as a citizen, you have to make different choices, and the players are making different choices, whether to attend the White House or whether not to attend the White House, whether to listen to this man or not listen to him. But... The bottom line is that the office itself is being used, and at the same time, it is being diminished. You have to pay attention to that, and you have to also pay attention to it because just in the you know the previous segment that we were talking about whether or not these things are victories or not for the, for for Trump, it's obvious that the that the industry of the NFL and the industry of professional sports is paying attention to the White House, so there is influence there. You can't just dismiss it and, and ridicule people for making it feel serious. It is serious. So I, I, I feel like we're asking a lot of times where we're, we're not pointing the cannon in the right direction. You shouldn't be using the office for that level of divisiveness in the first place. And uh, as we said, there's a lot of NFL fans who'll be watching just the ads how do the ads reinforce the messaging and the politics of the NFL or the politics that they want to do? You, you mentioned the book, you know, the, 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 a lot of the ads talk about they feature military personnel and they have in the past. What are other ways that some of the unsubtle messages? Yeah. What are some of the un, more, uh, more subtle messages that we might be seeing in the ads? Well, it depends. I mean, I'm interested in seeing what those themes are this year. I remember one year militarism was a really big deal. I remember the next year, I think, it was sort of interesting. Every other commercial showed some interracial relationship, which I guess the Cheerios commercial was a big deal. And then I guess all the next several years, you've seen that it's that suddenly, after all these years, it's okay to have an interracial relationship on a on a commercial, whether it's Expedia or cereal or detergent. Um, it'll be. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the themes of the ads are going to be this year, but. What we do know is that that because we don't have very much commonality in this country anymore, that the sports itself is the it's the vehicle. It is the most the most watched um, program in the country. It is the one place where you're going to get common eyeballs. Where now you've got 300 channels and everybody else is watching something different. So that's the reason why sports is considered such a powerful 
such a powerful vehicle for these political messages because you do know that you're going to get eyeballs. You're going to get a cross-section the way you used to get in the 70s and 80s and the 90s um, that you don't get today. So it's, on the one hand, you can say it's actually very clever and very smart on the part of the military and police and some of these other um, institutions to use sports that way. I think what, what troubles me is when people try to argue that that's not the case. It certainly is the case that sports is being used because it is that place where you're going to get you know, how many other how many other places, whether we're, whether we're talking about an award show or the Super Bowl, there just aren't that many places where you can get that many different cross-sections watching the same thing. And in the book, you uh, said you voted for Hillary Clinton in the general election in 2016. And I, and I sort of, I think it was unsaid, but you, I think it looks like you voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary. Where are you at now? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. Um, I have no <laughs> idea where I'm at, but I do love the fact, I mean, and that is one of the, the interesting things when we talk about what we're, what we're selling. And, you know, obviously you've got the Super Bowl next week and I believe the next day is, I think, Iowa, right? Yes, yes. And Massachusetts, you vote on uh, March 3rd. So that is the, you know, that's the big deal. It's all coming together. And, you know, you're watching all of this take place. And it's happening at the same time when we're talking about people being drowned in student debt and everything else, but yet we are selling seven, $800 billion military budgets through sports once again. So that's that thing where you, know, you want viewers to be smart about what they're looking at. And at the same time, we say we don't want politics in our games and we don't want this, you know, every time they're, they're sending out all the military and their camouflage and the camouflage jerseys and everything else, you're also in some ways contributing to making it easier to pass a $783 billion defense budget and making it a little bit more difficult to forgive student debt. So it, it, it's, it all rolls together. It's just a matter of how much we want to pay attention and what we're going to determine to be politics and, and what we're not. All right. Howard Bryant, your new book is called Full Dissidents, Notes from an Uneven Playing Field. I got to say it's powerful. It's deeply reported. uh, And thank you for being on. It's all political. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank Howard Bryant for joining us on today's podcast. I'd like to thank the king, King Kaufman, for producing today's episode. And remember, whether you come to the Super Bowl for the kneeling or the nachos, it's all political. It's All Political as part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.